Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. This is Terry Wickstrom back again, and we're going to go right back to the phones and holding on to change subjects and talk now. By the way, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. And speaking of ATVs, Nate, we're going to, there's probably going to be some use put to them here really quick. I think pronghorn, uh, pronghorn archery starts in just a couple weeks, I think. Absolutely, Ted. You know, I uh, just talking about this. We visited the guys at Sun. Just put some new tires on my Polaris Ranger. Uh, I got a, a Sun or a, a Honda Rubicon uh, lined up, so I got all my ATVs and UTVs all set for the season. And I'll tell you, through the years, um, you know, looking back, I guided big game for ten years. I've been just kind of doing the professional side of hunting and doing promotions and videos and things like that for about seven. Um, I've spent a lot of time in the, in the woods. Um, you know, doing somewhat professional hunting uh, here in Colorado, and I've done it with horses. I've done it by foot. I've done it with, you know, the, the ATV, UTV type thing, and I'll tell you, there, there's a place and a time for everything, but every time that I use horses, which I, I do quite a bit, and I'll tell you, every time I'm having to haul hay in and haul water and, you know, get certified shots and go into wilderness areas and doing everything that a horse requires, I'll tell you, pulling up to the gas pump and putting, like, you know, a half a gallon of fuel for the entire day in my ATV and stuff like that. There's no greater feeling, and I spend more time hunting than dealing with livestock when I have that ATV provided by Sun Sun Power Sports. So I'll tell you, I'm a I'm a huge fan of utilizing that where I can legally do so. You know, I, I there's one other feeling that's even greater, and that's the feeling I don't get if I spend four hours on horseback. So what's going on hunting wise, Nate? What should people be thinking about right now? You know, I'll tell you, we're full blown into into the sport right now. I uh, I have some of the biggest elk I've ever seen in years. I've been watching them, learning their patterns. Uh, got some great mule deer. Got some great pronghorn. But the thing we're going to talk about is, you know, every year we talk about early season elk hunting. We talk about hunting water, uh, and we're going to talk about that actually next week on this show, uh, just as the hunting season rolls around. But right now we have a pronghorn season up coming up. You know, August fifteenth. It's very soon. Uh, we're going to tie it right in with the mule deer simply for the fact that we've been promoting watching patterns and, and understanding hunting water holes, especially for pronghorns. If you look at pronghorn archery hunting in general, the entire western United States, m- most of the success comes with hunting water holes. Now, pre, pre this last week, we'll say, hunting water holes was looking amazing. These animals were very patterned. We had a lot of heat a couple weeks ago, and it dried up a lot of the water holes where we had only the good, valuable water left, which was allowing us to, to have great opportunity to build patterns to hunt water holes. All of a sudden this week, we live all of a sudden in uh, the major monsoon area. Most of the mountains is getting bombarded with heavy rain. That has changed a lot of patterns for now. All of a sudden, every ditch on the side of the road, every indention in the field, every little uh, rock formation that has a little area to build a puddle is holding water now. So just to stay ahead of the curve, so many hunters, even fishermen, you build patterns. And in our hearts, we always want all these patterns to hold true. And we have a hard time adapting to change. It's just what it is. Outdoorsmen, in general, don't like change. We want to catch fish one weekend and go two weekends later and catch fish doing the same thing. As hunters, we want to set trail cameras up and we want to scout. And what we find one weekend, we just want to be true 
coming up in two weeks. And the long story short, it doesn't necessarily always happen. We have to change with the times. We have to adapt to the situations. And right now, with all this water that we're getting here in Colorado, a lot of times these water holes are going to change up again. They're probably still going to hit the water hole you have, but probably not as regular. A lot of times these animals are going to find water in every situation that they're in. A lot of times they're even going to get enough moisture off the grass that they're eating to where water is not going to be as valuable. It's still going to be valuable, but not as valuable. So me personally, I am looking, especially this upcoming pronghorn uh, archery hunt, instead of hunting so much water, I'm still going to have a good pattern on water, but I'm really putting most of my energy into spot and stock. So through scouting, I'm really seeing what these animals will let me utilize to help me spot and stock. Now, again, sometimes we hunt pronghorn where we have a lot of hills, ditches, and, and you know, adverse terrain allows us to walk up to that archery distance. But a lot of us are hunting major flats, so we're going to have to use something to help us try to pull these animals in or allow us to walk up to these animals. So for me personally, I'm trying cow decoys, where I have big you know, livestock cattle cow decoys. Uh, a lot of times I'm making this out of uh, a thin sheet of plywood or using masonite, um, you know, building a little frame. So I'm literally airbrushing cattle on on a decoy and I'm trying to walk up to these animals or whatever livestock you have in that area. If you have horses, if you have, you know, buffalo or whatever livestock's in your area, that's one of the biggest things to use as a decoy to where you can hide behind that and slowly try to push your way up to these animals. Uh, a lot of times we even use antelope decoys and hopefully that maybe a pre-stage of a rut is happening um, and these animals will come, you know, chase off a, a younger antelope, a younger pronghorn. Uh, opportunity to, to have an archery shot at that situation. But right now, the, the moral of the story is I'm scouting to see what I can do that's going to help me sneak up to these animals. Again, whether it's a, a decoy that I'm trying to pull animals in with or I'm using a decoy of another animal to try to walk up to. Uh, but regardless, I'm really putting a lot of my effort through scouting right now um, away from that water hole. I'm still having that idea in the back of my head, but if this water continues like it's supposed to for another week, more than likely there's going to be a lot of water from these animals to choose from, um, and a spot and stock situation is probably going to get you further. Uh, and the same type of thing rolls into the mule deer. So that's our big effort right now is, is putting a plan together of how we're going to spot and stock uh, opposed to water if this water continues. I, I got to tell you one thing about uh, stock, spot and stock and sneaking up on an animal or trying to draw them in. Um, we were talking just a, a couple segments ago to Cheyenne Mountain about their 3D archery range. And so many people, when these first archery seasons start, and you talk about stock and spot, it really emphasizes this. You don't get to make that shot from the stand, from the position, uh, with the animal facing a certain direction. That 3D practice and understanding what part of the animal you can hit from what distance and how to focus without a target is just so so important this for this kind of hunting absolutely terry i mean shooting in the worst awkward positions is huge you know we uh we actually did a video earlier this week of me shooting in a heavy rain um and a lot of people had opened their eyes and we had a lot of people you know arguing that it doesn't affect things that much so what i did is i took uh i took a brand new rain seven Botech. i actually set it outside during the rainstorm so i let it outside for about 30 minutes in the rain um then i grabbed that bow it was still raining i went out to, uh, to a comfortable distance of like 50 yards you know a fairly good poke um and i fired an arrow in an absolute torrential downpour and i mean my variation of shots was just incredible i mean i was 
you know, in best case, I was about nine inches low. Worst case, I had shots upwards to about two feet low uh, during the heaviest portion of that rain. And everybody is, they think about one thing. They're like, oh, man, you know, today's new synthetic strings, they don't take in moisture. It doesn't have that effect. Something else is wrong. But it's usually a combination of a lot of moisture on your cams, which is going to slow things down. Most of our arrow rests have some sort of felt on them to have a quieter draw. Um, it's that, you know, having moisture on the veins of the arrow, arrow in general, flying through moisture. It was unbelievable how it changed things up. And that same day, once the rain stopped, you know, the rain stopped, after thinking about how much of that type of stuff could come into effect, same thing in the spot and stock. I started using my decoys and said, okay, I'm going to have to draw, you know, pointed at the ground. Can I do so? And then I have to swing that bow up. And, you know, so that's going to be a, a long cycle of movement. Can I make sure that I'm holding true for that situation? One of the big things that we practice a lot in the pronghorn world is laying down. So I will lay down on my back, facing up. I will draw my bow while laying down. And then as I stand up, I'll rotate that bow to a, into a vertical shooting position, and I'll take that shot that way. But all of a sudden, it's like doing a sit-up after you've drawn the bow. You know, a lot of people can do 100 sit-ups, but can you draw, you know, a 70-pound bow and then do that very slow and calm and take that shot? So, again, the pronghorn world, especially if you deal with rain, deal with, you know, very weird and uncomfortable situations. You have to make sure that you can take that shot. And the biggest thing that we talk about in this world, Terry, and this is one of the biggest things, so many of us, again, we get in these cycles as outdoorsmen. We go out and we fire, say, 15 arrows. And as a hunter, all of a sudden we look at it and say, oh, that was pretty good. You know, my average shot was such and such. But it doesn't work like that in the hunting world. So what you have to do is every time you shoot, the only arrow that counts is your first arrow. And I think that's, that's just absolutely crucial for hunters to, to look at. Everybody takes that first shot, and they're like, oh, that was my first shot. You know, I'm just getting comfortable, just getting stretched, you know, and then the next ones will count. In the hunting world, that does not count. Your first shot is everything. So every time you take a shot from a different distance, a different position, uncomfortable, you're tired, force yourself to, to run a lap at your archery range and then take a shot while you're winded. The first shot is what means everything as a hunter. So make sure as you practice, you're in uncomfortable situations. Your bow's wet. It's early. It's late light. You know, look at your legal shooting times and make sure you're trying to take a shot before or after work. Take a shot at those, those first and last legal minutes of hunting and make sure that you can perform. But more importantly, make sure your first arrow can perform in all those situations. That's going to tell you if you're ready for that hunt. Yeah, you don't get a mulligan. It's uh it's it's uh it's it's kind of like fishing the flats where a big tarpon comes by. You get one cast, you know, and and you've been holding your line for an hour waiting and now you got to put it within a 1-foot circle. Speaking of fishing, let's transition a little bit too. Um before I have to let you go, give me an update on what's going on in fishing. You know, Terry, it's still uh, still everything's about the same. We're seeing our fall pattern start. Uh, so, again, the topwater pike bite is going very strong. The walleye bite uh, at Chatfield continues with its summer patterns. It's, it's absolutely crazy. The fitting on structure of the mobiles is all producing fish right now. The panfish have moved up on the road, so we're seeing perch, big sunfish. That's going very strong. Cherry Creek tends to be more of a summer pattern or uh, going into fall pattern. The baitfish have hatched. The bait is pulling those walleyes up. So we're seeing a lot of shallower presentations, suspended fish, uh, working very high-action, noisy baits, lipless crankbaits, uh, baits that have head and tail wobble and a lot of roll. Uh, Pueblo seems to be on a very traditional summer pattern uh, or, or fall pattern. The baits hatch, the fish are up in that water column. 
Uh, the trout at Spoonie have been going very strong, but it's very shallow water, and the fish are very spooky. So good boat control, quiet wading, you know, silent casting, all that type of stuff has really come into effect in those mountain lakes with that clear, clear water. But I can say that Chatfields probably came up, I have to check it again, probably upwards of five feet here in the last couple of days with all this rain. So that's really has changing things somewhat. So you got to make sure that you're uh, on top of that for the fact that things are changing in those uh, higher water columns. We're seeing that across the board. If you're in an area that has uh, downwards of a, of a major river flow or inlet, uh, you're probably going to have some dirty water and a lot of water influx. Uh, so the walleye bite, they're chasing that water column. The bass have actually been sliding off slightly deeper, uh, but as that water is changing level, uh, that depth at which they're in is changing almost daily. So uh, we do have a lot of changing things due to all the moisture in the state, uh, but other than that, I'd say everything is holding very, very true to where it has been in the last couple and, of years. And the other thing we're going to see, and I've got to let you go, but a lot of lakes like Horsetooth, they're getting calls for water, and they're actually on the other end of this where the falling water is pulling the fish off the structure. Perfect. We we love falling water opposed to rising water, and most of my lakes are not in that situation. They're definitely pulling water, but we have so much moisture because of all this rain, uh, especially in that kind of South Park area and that, that central Denver, uh, to where the, the water, the offset of it leaving is, is not keeping up with the water coming in. Well, and I think the, the, the message here is that be aware of what's happening. Go check the website. See if the water's up or down within the last day or two that you're going to fish because it's going to tell you where they're positioned. And that's it. And, you know, the biggest thing, every time you leave the lake, lake up, make a landmark. That's the biggest thing that I do. I can tell you right now, on the, out of the couple of lakes, we're up to about 16 lakes that we guide on here in Colorado. On uh, every single one of those lakes, I have a landmark in the water. I make sure I know of, of three trees or three rocks. Uh, so every time I pull up to the lake, if I haven't had a chance to check, check the website, or I'm not techy enough, I know when I pull up, I can say, man, that water's really out of the water. Man, that water, that rock is now buried in the water. Have that rough idea to where every time I pull up, I have a, a, again, a landmark to just a quick reference. Hey, there's the water column. Here's where the fish should be. All right, Nate, we got to let you go. We will talk to you next week. We'll talk to you soon. Yep, Nate Zielinski from Tightline Outdoors. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sportsman's Warehouse, America's premier outfitter. It is time for our Ask the Expert segment. Now, this is the segment, and by the way, folks, get your questions in. We want more questions. We've got a great chance of getting a $25 gift card. All you do is send your question to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors at gmail.com. It can be fishing, hunting, camping, outdoor clothing, boating, anything outdoors. If we answer your question on the air, you get a $25 gift card just for sending it in. Today's question is from Justin in Inglewood. And his question is, what is the best time of day and spot to catch smallmouth bass? Now, normally, I would tell somebody the best the best spot is Schwamigan Bay and Lake Superior, and the best time is all day long out there. But I think because Justin lives in Inglewood, he probably wants a little more pertinent information to what to where he lives. Now, I could go over that in generalities, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to be joined by Austin Parr, who guides and fishes these lakes uh, on a regular basis, so we can kind of discuss maybe more pertinent waters to where Justin lives. Good morning, Austin. How are you, Terry? Thanks for having me on. Hey, I'm doing great. And you know what? Um, I love this question because I think smallmouth bass are one of the most fun fish to catch. I mean, you can usually get a lot of action with uh, the smaller ones, but boy, when you get into a bigger one, they will pull your string. Man, I tell you what, pound for pound, those guys, other than wipers, they fight just about as hard as any fish in this state. 
Oh, I, I couldn't agree more. Now, when we look at Inglewood, there's some great smallmouth bass water down there. You've got Chatfield and Bear Creek are really good. You've got some ponds that at one time produced, I think, uh, uh, many, many years ago, I think a state record smallmouth came out of, I believe it was Smith or one of those reservoirs down there. So there's a lot of opportunity for smallmouth down there. From previous conversations and correspondence with Justin, I think he fishes from shore. But let's talk about it both ways, both from how would you approach, what would you do if you wanted to go catch some smallmouth bass in that part of the city so you know to start with this is really a great time of year to wind up going with it you know we're we're still in a lot of our summertime pattern we have a little bit of bait fish expanding in some of our larger bodies of water but smallmouth are are being very active but you know as you mentioned time of day is definitely an important factor so i would be really focusing more in on the early morning and late evening type bites and whether you want to fish a pond or a main lake uh, running some top water baits right off the bat, like I said, in the early morning or, or late in the evening to resemble a, a dying or wounded bait fish on the surface certainly can wind up producing you some really nice fish. Now, a particular top water bait you like, I like poppers a lot this time of the year because I think a lot of fish are busting shad. A lot of people are more uh, walk-the-dog type bait, and some of them like prop baits. What do you like to use? You know, I'm a big popper fan, but as of late, uh, there's a new bait uh, out that's a, a whopper plopper that's in a, in a size 90, and those guys have been a, a really productive bait as well. So, you know, it kind of d- depends upon your, your forage as well, but, you know, smallmouth certainly uh, sometimes will, will prefer a popper. Sometimes that, that whopper plopper has been good, but, you know, really it's, it's about kind of some trial and error. You know, when they're really active on them, they're going to want to come up and eat them. So, you know, if you're not catching something right away, either adjust your your location slightly or, or change your bait a little bit. You know, another bait that I've used successfully is one that I borrowed from my saltwater friends, and that's a popping cork with a, a just maybe like a gulp or a power minnow uh, behind maybe on a two, three-foot leader and pop that cork, really gets some attention. Then they see that maybe unweighted or lightly weighted uh, minnow bait falling behind it. I've had great success with that, too. Man, that certainly does work good. And, you know, a lot of times when I'm out guiding on Chatfield, we'll even – do that same type of a rig, but I'll put it uh, on the back of a popper. So I'll, I'll do a really light little jig head, like a 32nd ounce, and I have some that are some really long shank uh, jig heads. We'll put a small gulp minnow on there. A lot of times those fish will come up, either miss that popper, or they'll, you know, they won't hit it at all and, and just uh, trail and hit that gulp minnow. Yeah, now what about, let's let's go from shore first and then from a boat. Some of the lakes, like Chatfield and Bear Creek, how would you approach them? Are there some places of the lakes? Are you looking for flats? Are you looking for maybe little access to deeper water? You know, a little bit of both on that. And, you know, going right off of that point, talking about finding the proper structure is, is the absolute most important thing that you can wind up doing to be a successful smallmouth bass fisherman. So just like walleyes and just like largemouth bass, they are very structure-oriented. Uh, they're not meandering and wandering a whole lot. So a lot of times on Chatfield and Bear Creek in particular, the rock faces really wind up attracting fish. And then in, in additionally with those rock faces, trying to find the transition between that heavy chunk rock and maybe a lighter gravel or maybe a mud flat, that tra- transition line really likes to, you know, those fish will be focused right on that. And if you can find the, the, the congregation of those fish, you're certainly going to wind up uh, being more successful with not only bigger fish, but also more numbers. One of the ways I like to approach it, too, the top water is really good, especially early and late. But if they are in those rocks, there could be bait fish. But a lot of times the smallmouth will be eating crayfish. Even if there is bait fish, they tend to be opportunistic. And I take a tube with a fairly light jig head so it doesn't drop too far into the rocks and just work it over the top of those rocks. I like 
Uh, if I'm just going for numbers, I like maybe a two-and-a-half-inch tube because I don't eliminate some of the smaller fish. If I'm trying to catch just a giant fish, then I may go to a three, three-and-a-half-inch tube. Do you ever do that approach? Absolutely. Tube jigs are one of my favorite methods to wind up going with. And, you know, also some smaller creature baits like maybe a chigger craw or, or even like you'd see a skirted bass jig in a small size with, with a trailer on it. But all of those options are resembling those crawfish. And, and smallmouth, you know, they are, a, as you mentioned, an opportunistic predator, but certainly crawfish are some of their absolute favorite forage to wind up feeding on. But, you know, one thing, you know, I, I always see with, with clients and, and with folks I'm talking to is many people are pretty afraid to be throwing in those rocks with the jig. They're saying, oh, what happens if I lose my bait? Well, that's something that, you know, if you really want to catch a lot of fish, you just need to try and try and get past because, you know, getting snagged is part of it. And I'm sure you've seen that before. Uh, getting down in those rocks and fishing those areas with tubes, uh, you know, is, is very productive, but it's also snaggy. So losing a couple jigs is, is just sometimes uh, part of what you have to, to do to get a lot of fish. It's part of the deal because you're going to lose some of those jigs. And, you know, they, you have inexpensive jig heads and a bag of tubes is not expensive. And plan yep. on losing a few because if you're not, you're probably not fishing where the fish are. Another thing is you're doing the top water and something comes up and misses it. Throw that tube right out where that top water was. And a lot of times that fish will hit that tube that came up after your top water. Absolutely. You know, having both rods rigged up right there and at the ready, you can zip that top water bait in really quick and, and pitch that tube out there. And a lot of times that fish, um, you know, is, is still in that same area as long as you get to them pretty fast. And, and, you know, you can really increase your numbers at the end of the day by, by doing that. So give me a couple spots before I let you go uh, in that area where you would go if you were going to go after some smallmouth. You know, Chatfield and Bear Creek both are a fantastic choice. There are a lot of not only numbers, but also good fish, particularly as we, we move into the fall time period here. You seem like you, you get out of some of those smaller fish and into some of those, those larger uh, 17, 18, 19-inch fish. But additionally, like you mentioned, those ponds are, are fantastic to wind up going and trying for some smallmouth. So, you know, Smith Reservoir is one of the best. There's a, a good dam face on the east side of that lake, and, and those smallmouth really like to, to congregate in that area, and you can certainly have a lot of success. But additionally, you know, making a little bit further drive, particularly, like I said, as I mentioned, moving into the fall, uh, Aurora Reservoir, which currently holds the, the state record smallmouth out there, has a lot of really nice fish. And, and many times when you're fishing these same techniques that we were just mentioning in the top waters and the tubes, it gives you opportunities to, to pick up some largemouth and maybe even some other species when you're on the subsurface uh, tube jig. So, you know, either one of those is, is good. And then there's certainly a, a variety of ponds around the Chatfield area. If, you didn't, well, if you're a little bit intimidated by the large body of water there, so you can slide over to the north and, and there's smallmouth in several of those lakes there. All right. Uh, we've got to let you go, Austin. Um, if people wanted to get you for a guide trip, you guide out of uh, Discount Fishing Tackle. Is that right? Yes, I do. And they can find you there. Yep. And, of course, and you have a Facebook page, too, I believe. I do, yes, under Austin Parr. All right. Austin, thank you so much for joining us and great information. Thanks for having me, Terry. I appreciate it. You bet. Um, that was our um, Ask the Expert for today. And our Ask the Expert is such a good part of the show because you get to interact. So send your outdoor questions to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors at Gmail. If we answer your question on the air, you get a $25 gift card from Sportsman's Warehouse. Terry Wickstrom is brought to you in part by Sportsman's Warehouse, America's premier outfitter. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Honey Smoke Fish Company's Honey Smoke Salmon. The secret is in the fire. We're going to go right to the phones now. 
because as anxiously and impatiently as he's probably been waiting to get on with me and talk to me, he's also getting impatient for dove season coming up. We'll talk more about that later. But we're going to talk about some other hunting, and we've got Doug Kraft from Colorado Clays. Good morning, Doug. Hey, great to be with you this morning, Terry. Yeah, I got it. Before we, I know we're going to talk about big game, but before we do, I know dove season's only about a month away. You, your wife told me that September 1st is like Christmas to you. Yes, it is. I will not be around this property, actually. <laughs> <laughs> hey, but, ready to go. Hey, let's talk, though. You know, uh, black powder for um, pronghorn starts in just a couple weeks, the 15th, and then elk on the 26th. And we want to talk, we talk a lot about your sporting clays and your trap and your skeet, but you also have a rifle and a pistol range. And a lot of rifle ranges don't have the ability to practice the way you guys do. And we'll describe it in a minute. But one of the things that sets you apart is you allow black powder. Yes, uh, we are an open-air, semi-enclosed range, and that allows us to use, we're black powder friendly. Yes, we offer 50 and 100-yard targets. We have our guests may choose from several different type of rests that we have for them to borrow. We have a lead sled. They can practice their skills shooting prone, standing, or bench shooting. And we tried to put it all when we into this range when we built it, thinking of all the angles. And please bring your black powder and get out. It's time to shake out your gear. Well, and, you know, I have a saying, and I go over it all the time, don't just get ready for hunting. Stay ready for hunting. You really you got all your gear you should um, practice with and you should check out and you should scout and all those things. And I understand people have busy lives. They can't get to everything. But you need to plan on going more than once to the range. You want to be comfortable with what you're shooting so you don't think about that shot. You know, I always talk about shooting being a perishable sport, Doug. And I'll get these, uh, you know, listeners, and they good-naturedly will, will send me a pattern they just shot at the range where I haven't shot for six months and look at this tight little pattern I've got. Well, you know what? I do do that too when I go to the range, but when your heart's beating 150 beats a second and that bull is standing out there, you better not be thinking about your sight picture and your trigger control. You better, they better be instinctive. Absolutely, and that comes totally as you said with practice, 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 and you that will happen for you. At uh, deer and elk muzzleloader opens September 9th, so it's getting very close. Oh, you're absolutely right. You want to get out there now, and especially you know a lot of people are going to buy a new firearm. And you just, it's just so imperative. Another thing, Doug, is you talked about all positions because you can shoot prone, you can shoot kneeling, you can shoot from a bench. You've got it, it's set up so that you can shoot from virtually any, any position. And pronghorn, especially, you can be doing a lot of stock and spot shooting, and you're going to make that shot from an awkward position. The other thing you're going to do is wear the clothes you're going to hunt, even if it's a little uncomfortable, because that gun fits you so different when you have your hunting gear on. Absolutely. Put a heavy coat on. It changes your whole length of pull, and it's just a whole different ballpark. So bring out your gear. Bring your hunting gear with you, your heavy jacket or your light jacket, so you're comfortable with both types of uh, length of pull because they are a little different. No, and you know, there's just and the other thing you guys have out there is you don't have to go down and check your targets because you have video cameras on the targets. Yes, we do, and our awesome RSOs will go down, change your target for you. Retrieve it for you if you so need, and our video cam system allows you to stay in your shooting stall, keep your heart rate down, comfortable, and shoot some good groups. You know, the one thing about those cameras, though, Doug, they don't show me where my shot hits when I miss the paper. 
<laughs> Our RSOs will let you know. Yeah, well, usually I know. <laughs> you know, Nate Zielinski and I were talking about archery just a while ago, and this really applies to muzzleloader and any rifle hunting, too, where people will come to practice a muzzleloader or rifle shot, and they'll shoot five or six shots, and they'll go, oh, the average was pretty good. And Nate and I says, you, you don't get a mulligan. The only one that really counts is the first one. It's <laughs> exactly true. And RSOs, our range staff, is excellent. They do this all the time. They will help you sight in. They will save you some ammo. And now's the time. We've already seen some radicals coming in that need some work or through the years or through the last year since hunting season, moving your gun around and things have knocked it off or even broken reticles. We've already had about three or four in. Now's the time to find it. They will help you. Just please ask them. They're the most helpful, knowledgeable people around. Last thing before we let you go, and of course, we'll find out how people can find you. And that is, I know we, I started out by saying how much you love dove hunting. And uh, I, I consider dove hunting, you know, a way to a way to support the ammunition manufacturers. Because <laughs> I shoot, I mean, and I'm an average shotgunner, but doves. But, you know, part of that is, and I'm as guilty of this as everybody else, is we use doves to tune up for other game and really doves in themselves should be one of your mainstays you really need to get some practice what would you practice for doves would you do wobble trap or what would you do for doves i would probably lean more towards the skeet shooting you're getting a little closer you're 20 21 yard a shot close and fast a lot of speed a lot of different angles and also for that we carry a large variety of all gauges of shotgun shells seven and a halves or eights that are just Perfect for dove hunting. So how do they find you, Doug? Well, you can just jump on our website, coloradoclays.com. We have a great map on there, and you can also take a wonderful virtual tour of our whole facility that will just allow you to see everything we have going here. Well, also, the last thing is tell JR I'm getting jealous of these fish pictures he's sending me. <laughs> I sure will. I will. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Doug. Absolutely. Always a pleasure. You bet. Doug Kraft from Colorado Clays. These are just great people. If you've never been out there, look them up on the website and go go out there. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Honey Smoke Fish Company's Honey Smoke Salmon. And, you know, before we go to break, i got to tell you about Honey Smoke Salmon. It is just unbelievable. Um, I, I mentioned earlier how it keeps me going. At my age, you know, I have to pay attention to nutrition. I can eat Honey Smoke Salmon, and it's it's got omega-3 fatty acids. It's got zero carbs. It's it's just so healthy, and yet it tastes so good. It's easy to eat. You know, some things that are healthy for you, you just you got, eh. I love to make a spread. I put one part cream cheese, one part honey-smoked salmon, put it in, uh, you know, in my... Uh, food processor, and then I spread it on crackers, whole wheat crackers. It's healthy. It's delicious. Uh, it's just incredible. Honey smoked salmon, the secret is in the fire. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. We're going to change some things up now. We're going to talk some fly fishing as we are going to be joined by Matt Jimenez from North Park Anglers up in the Walden area. Good morning, Matt. Good morning, Terry. How are you this morning? I'm doing great. How's the weather up there? A little overcast today, but I think it'd be a great fishing day because you know what this does to the fish. They get a little less nervous and they get a little more active. What's it like up there? Absolutely. Today we have a little overcast up here as well. You know, um, It's partly cloudy. It's supposed to be like that all day with 20% chance of precipitation. And uh, it's just a beautiful fishy day this morning. 
Uh, you know, I, I've been hearing all over the state that the fly fishing has been just on fire. You know, we had a lot of runoff, but it didn't come down suddenly. It came down over time. The rivers cleared up pretty fast. But because of some added precipitation and the snow still melting, what's happened is the fish are really healthy. The water stayed cool. We're not worried about the water being too warm. Is that what you're experiencing up in the North Park area? Yes, sir. That's exactly what we're experiencing. You know, the the runoff came, and it uh, it was dispersed over about a month. And uh, the rivers have come down and cleared quite a bit, um, but we've been receiving recent rains, and it's been keeping the keeping the rivers relatively cool, and so the fishing has just been killer. Yeah, I want to talk about some of the different. Well, let's we'll get to presentations in a minute. Well, let's talk about some of the rivers, then we'll talk about some of the presentations. Where's where are you seeing some real active fish up there? Okay, so right now we are the headwaters of the North Platte River here in Walden, Colorado, and uh, so the North. Platte starts at the drainage of the Grizzly Creek and Little Grizzly, and uh, it runs right through the vein of, of North Park here. And the North Platte is going to be the place to be. However, there are many tributaries as well to the Platte that are very fishable and fishing very well right now. Well, you know, fishing with you guys a few years ago, we did a television show. In fact, I have a couple television shows with you guys on my YouTube channel. If people want to go to The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom and look for you guys, we did. And, and one of those shows... Uh, fishing one of those tributaries, I caught, I think, five, two, two about five-pound rainbows within about 20 minutes. Yes, sir. These uh, small creeks up here are very special. No, they really are. So on the creeks now, uh, other parts of the state, they've been telling me the hoppers have been out early. I talked to you, and you said you're doing a lot of dry dropper fishing. What are you seeing? What, what are you finding the best presentations in the rivers and creeks up there? You know, right now with the river stabilized, they are dropping. You know, we're a freestone fishery. Um, and with the hopper dropper, that has been kind of the key. You know, you're having a, having a hopper or a big attractor fly up top, and then you drop a nymph about 18 to 28 inches below it to hit some of these deeper pools, and it's been, uh, it's been very, very good for us. You know, I, I love hopper dropper fishing. First of all, it's pretty easy to rig. And I don't have to worry about making a delicate cast. I can plop it on the water a little bit because that's how a hopper hits. But the other thing is as you get older, being able to see that hopper, you know, and you're fishing virtually, it's like indicator fishing, but you've got a second chance at a fish. And I can really see that hopper. Now, I go through a selection of hoppers, but I struggle sometimes with what nymph to put on. And I'll be the first to admit, sometimes I'm not as good at reading the hatches. Any particular nymphs this time of the year that seem to be working under the hopper up there? You know, as far as hatches, we're seeing a lot of bug activity from PMDs to sulfurs to mahogany duns to caddis. Um, and, and some of the nymphs that cover the majority of most of those are going to be hare's ears and pheasant tails. So we fish a lot of hare's ear and pheasant tail nymphs in size 14 to 18 right now. And uh, it's a good general may, mayfly. Well, you know, I think you could put those two on as a nymph almost anywhere, anytime, couldn't you? If you have the size is probably more important with those two than even the because uh, they're just such great all-around imitators. They are absolutely the best. That, I mean, they are staples in my box, and I fish them almost every day on the water. And you said, are you changing the length of your leader for the depth of water? Or are you kind of just leaving it so it drags behind at a, maybe a foot and a half, two feet? You know, um, so. Average, you know, I start at about 18, and some of the deeper bend holes that we fish up here with some of these undercuts and riffle runs coming into the tail out of big, large bend pulls, um, we are having to change the depth of the nymph below the hopper. Um, so 
I would say average start at 18 to 24, and then in some of the deeper pools, you know, you might have to go to 36 inches. All right. How about the lakes up there? you got both Lake John, Caudry, and, of course, the Delaney's are famous for their fish. What's happening in the, the lakes in the area? You know, the lakes have been fishing well, even though we kind of consider this kind of like the dog day, you know, the dog days of summer. Um, It's been getting hot up here in the middle of the day, so the fishing has slowed down a little bit. The guys doing really well, though, are nymphing, and they're nymphing from 13 to about 18 feet uh, depth of water. Um, As far as flies coming off, there's still damselflies coming off, uh, sedgecat is coming off, calibatus are tapering off a little bit. but the other cool thing about the lakes right now is the terrestrial season. You know, we've kind of turned point, and the fish are really coming to look up in the evenings and in, and in, uh, the evenings and mornings. You know, so early in the morning from 6 to about 9 a.m. has been very good with terrestrials. Um, that could be hoppers, ants, spiders, beetles, um, and these fish are taking them ferociously. Now, those lakes, the Delaney's especially, can really produce some big fish too, can't they? Yeah, absolutely. Um, a number of Quality rainbows are taken every year, um, as well as brown trout. Now, when you talk about fishing a nymph down 10, 15 feet, a lot of people immediately think about a sinking tip or a sinking line. I typically fish those under a long leader with an indicator so I can keep them right in the strike zone. How do you like to approach that? Yes, sir. So lately we've been using what's called the Rob Anderson Lake Leader. It's uh, from Umqua, and it is a it is a leader that is designed specifically for lake fishing and it uh, gives you the depths that you're fishing um, and it also has what's called a slip indicator on that leader so when you set the hook it slips down to the swivel at the bottom of it and you're able to cover those ranges from 10 feet all the way to 25 feet if you need to and i think those uh when you try to fish those small nymphs on a sinking line you're getting way too much motion because most of those nymphs are they're coming up to the surface they're coming up and emerging they're usually not traveling horizontally if you're going to fish horizontally then i like to go to uh, something like a streamer yes the streamer fishing can be very productive as well with uh crayfish leech patterns little bait fish imitations um, but under an indicator, we try to fish at a 90-degree system because the nymphs and the coronamids and everything come up and hatch vertically. Right. Now, people are coming up there. You guys guide. I, you do float trips, but you're probably done with the float trips for this year, right? We are done with the float trips. Our float season is from May 15th to July 15th, and it, uh, you know, it's a very short float season for us, but it is awesome. It's very good. Uh, we have, with that short window... You know, there is times during high water where we will cancel trips just because the fishing is not excellent, you know, and we're not into boat rides. We like we like good, solid fishing days. Well, I actually fished one of those float tubes, uh, trips with you guys on the North Platte, and we were into high water, and we had mixed expectations, but we did incredible. But I imagine now you're doing mostly walkwade fishing. Yes, sir. Walkwade season is upon us. And so on all of our tributaries here in the park, even the Platte, uh, we are walkwading. And the canyon has really opened up for us. This morning the flows are at 450 CFS, and uh, that's navigable by walkwading. Uh, and you can pretty much get to everywhere you need to in the river. Now you can book guide trips with you fellows, and you'll really take care of them. I can attest to that. You guys are fantastic to work with. I've done several trips with you. But if you just want to come up and fish on your own, stop by the shop. You're going to share the information, right? Absolutely. You know, that's what we're really, really well known for, um, our friendly advice. You know, we don't, we're not going to send you to a place where we don't think you're going to catch fish. Matt, you know? tell, them, tell them how they find you before we have to let you go. So we are located at 524 Main Street in Walden, Colorado. Um, 
we're located right in the heart of Walden. Um, you can also get a hold of us via via website. Uh, that's www.northparkanglers.com. And if you'd like to email us, it's info at northparkanglers.com. Matt, tremendous information. i got to get up and fish with you guys again. I always have a great time. You guys are great, great, great source of information and just great people to work with. Say hi to everybody for me. Hello, folks. Hope everybody's <laughs> having a great day. All right. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate it, Terry. You bet. That's Matt from North Park Anglers. He's just, th- These are just, I have so much fun. If you want to see what some of the fishing in North Park is like, go to my um, my YouTube channel, which is The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom. I think we have three or four, at least two, if not three, shows with North Park Anglers. One is a float on the North Platte, starting around the Wyoming border and going up through the canyon. Incredible. That trip, it's too late to take that trip now, but what an incredible trip. Another one, we were fishing some tributaries and some of the small rivers. You get up in that Walden area, all the way from North Michigan, all the way to the North Platte and the other side, there are some incredible tributaries with a lot of public access. There's also some private waters that they can get you on that are just incredible up there, too. So I wouldn't be afraid to give them a call, send them an email, stop by, either book a trip or at least stop in. And the fishing across the state right now for fly fishing is just phenomenal. We'll try to get some of it involved every week and keep you updated. But I'd say that North Park area right now is as good as anywhere in the state to go and uh, do some fly fishing. And you've got enough uh, water up there that you're not necessarily crowded on a busy day. And speaking of our websites and things, please follow us on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook or like us because we do so much information that's tied to the show. Speaking of our YouTube channel, every time we put a new show up on YouTube, it goes on our, our Facebook page. Every time my column, which comes out once a week in the post, we go to it goes up on our YouTube channel, our, our Facebook, uh, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. If, my, if we have some information about upcoming events on the show or Tackle Talks, we post those on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors at Facebook. Just a tremendous amount of information. And of course, join us here every Saturday morning from 9 to 11 for Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. We try to bring you the information so you can get out and enjoy. Thanks to Karen. Thanks to Kyle. Coming up after we're good done, you'll be Sandy. We'll be out at Broncos training camp. We'll let the Eagles take us to the top of the hour on 104.3 The Fan.